My name is Gene. I'm a leader here at Grace Fellowship Church. And I'm Every rational person in the world wants to advance. If you ask the average person, you want to advance, they're going to say, yeah, of course. And in this world, there are two ways that you can advance. One is the way the kingdom of the world advances. The other is the way the kingdom of Jesus advances. To advance in the kingdom of the world, you pursue greatness and power and advancement by demanding and stepping on other people. And you might advance in this kingdom for a while, but eventually you'll die, and then that will be the end of you. Oh, and if you mess up in this way of advancement, there's no mercy for you. The other way to advance is in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, in the way that that kingdom advances. In this kingdom, you humble yourself and you serve others until you have no life left in you. But that's not the end. You have a promise of resurrection. You might serve other people to the death, but you know you have a promise from God that you will be resurrected. And there are plenty of mercies for your failures. Which way would you like to advance? I invite you to look at Mark 10 with me this morning to see how Jesus calls us as believers to advance. We're going to talk this morning about how the kingdom of God advances. We're going to see that it advances through serving. I titled this sermon, Which Kingdom Are You In? So as we go through the sermon and through the text, feel free to ask yourself that question. Which kingdom am I in? The kingdom of the world or the kingdom of Jesus? And since it's such a large part of the text, why don't I give a definition for serving? Serving that we are going to be talking about this morning is life-giving, self-denying work that advances the kingdom. Life-giving, self-denying work that advances the kingdom. So I'm going to pray and then we can get started. Lord in heaven, thank you for your word and for being a servant's king. God, no, no other God left heaven and came down here to serve us. But you did in the form of Jesus. Lord, what, a, what an honor. What a blessing. God, would you encourage us this morning as we reflect on the servant part of nature and what you did to serve us. We pray and bless the time in his name. So, on your outline, first we're going to look at he who preaches serving will serve. We're going to talk about Jesus who preaches, who practices what he preaches. We are in Mark 10. Let's start reading at the 32nd verse. I'll give you some time to get there. Okay, it says, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. 
And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. So we'll stop there. This is the third foretelling that we've seen in Mark of Jesus saying, I'm going to die and I'm going to be resurrected. Here in this one, he says he's going to be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. He's going to be delivered over to the Gentiles. And he uses dramatic language this time around. He says he's going to be mocked, spit on, flogged, killed. And then three days he rises from the grave. And if we look at all three foretellings, we'll see similarities and differences between them. Uh, one, I already mentioned, the dramatic language. That's a difference. If you remember back in chapter 8, we saw his first one. That was where uh, Peter rebuked Jesus for talking like that. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Chapter 9, Jesus foretells his death and resurrection again after raising the boy with the convulsing spirit. And now, we've got this one in chapter 10. In terms of differences, neither of the first two said anything about the Gentiles. And to put some flesh on Gentiles, all that means is non-Jewish people. And in this, this text, it's talking about the Romans. So I wonder why Jesus brings in this new word, Gentiles. File that away. We're going to come back to that. In terms of similarities between the three foretellings, common theme throughout all three is that after each, Jesus tells his disciples what it truly means to follow him. What it means to be great. After the first one in chapter 8, he says, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. After the second one, he says, If anyone will be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And now this one, We haven't read it yet, but he will say, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And so each of these foretellings of what Jesus will do, he will serve to the death. Each of them is followed by a call to the disciples to do the same, to serve. Why is this here? Why does Jesus foretell this again and again? It's to show his commitment to serving. He is promising, I will serve. Jesus knows exactly where he's heading. He's marching toward Jerusalem. He knows he's going to die. And yet he's committed to serving. Again and again, he says, I'm going to die by serving. I'm going to die by serving. And you need to do the same. It's kind of like if you sign up to be in the military, you know what might await you. You could be injured, maimed, you could die. 
in this case, Jesus knows what awaits him. And it doesn't stop him. How does this apply to us? Think about Jesus' commitment to serve. Meditate on it. If you were Jesus, would you have kept walking knowing that you would be mocked and spit on and flogged and killed? You serve a God who knew what it would cost him, and yet he endured the suffering and the death. So we've seen that he who preaches serving will serve, and a little bit about how the kingdom of God moves forward through this service. Let's move on to the second point. Jesus doesn't serve our demands for power, but tells of true greatness. And for this, we're going to read the next paragraph. So starting at 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, we see this continuing theme of Jesus foretelling his death and his resurrection, and then he calls the disciples to do the same. James and John start off here by making a, being pretty forward. Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. Doesn't sound like they're very open to a no. And then Jesus is really gracious with them. What do you want me to do for you? He puts himself at their service. And they say, we want to sit on your right hand and on your left. Then they get into this whole cup that Jesus drinks, baptism that Jesus is baptized with section. We'll come back to that. But Jesus ends up denying their request to sit on either side of them. At the very least, he gives them a passive no, and then he goes on to say the same thing that he's been telling his disciples after each foretelling. To be great, you must serve. And he does that by contrasting the disciples with those who rule over the Gentiles. He says those who rule over the Gentiles, they lord themselves. They exercise authority. 
He uses the word Gentiles. Remember that word? Point one. That's the same people he will be delivered over to. To die. And so he's saying, the same Gentiles who are going to kill me, this is their type of ruling. They lord their power and they they exercise their authority. But, turning point, verse 43, it shall not be so among you. You are different. In the kingdom of men, the way to be great is to lord over others and to show your authority. In the kingdom of Jesus Christ, that's not the case. The way to be great is to be a servant. This flips the disciples' thinking on its head. <clears throat> we so often think, just like the disciples, that the way to be great is by de- demanding power and getting it. You want to be great? Stomp on others. But Jesus says the exact opposite. You want to be great? You have to be a servant. You want to be first? You've got to be a slave to everybody. In a more lighthearted way, this is kind of like going through the lunch line, asking for pizza, and getting spinach instead. Spinach and green beans. James and John, they come to Jesus with this demanding request for power, and instead of giving them what they want, Jesus says they want the exact opposite of what they think they want. You want to be healthy by eating greasy pizza? No. Actually, if you want to be healthy, you need to eat these green beans and the spinach. So, application, eat green beans and spinach. Just kidding. Okay, we're going to keep going with the text. Um, Jesus gives them the exact opposite of what they want. And then in verse 45, he caps it off. He says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, even I came to serve. And if anyone is entitled not to serve, it's me. But I'm serving. I'm choosing to lay down my life for the sake of being a ransom. Then he calls the disciples to do the exact same. So, back to the cup and the baptism part. Jesus says in 39, The cup that I drink, you will drink, and the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. What is he saying? He's saying, in the context, I will serve and suffer and die, and so will you. You will follow in my footsteps, serving and suffering and dying. And we know the disciples did. Most of them were martyred, and all of them suffered for Christ in some way. And so it will be with us. We will follow in Jesus' serving footsteps. 
Jesus is, in essence, saying the same thing he said in point one. He's saying it in a different way. I came not to be the one served, but I came to die and to be resurrected that there might be a ransom for people. So why is this here? This is here to show us that our demands for power will likely not be granted by by Jesus. This is here to show us that the greatest and the first, they will be servants and slaves. How does this apply to you? First application I have for you is don't demand power from Jesus. Don't demand power from Jesus. If you want more power and prestige at work or at home or even here at church, your heart might not be in the right place. If you demand power from Jesus, he will likely withhold it from you. And in his grace, he'll show you how to be great in his kingdom. Second application. If you want to be great and first, you must be a servant and a slave. For me, at work recently, it's it's been hard. Um, a peer was given a managerial position. And... You know, whether or not you aspire to be manager someday, when your peer is given the position, you can't help but ask, why wasn't I chosen? Would I make a good manager? How do I get that sort of respect and power? And God's really used that instance and and this text to help me realize painfully that the true way to be great is by serving, by being a slave to others. Whether a manager or not, the true way to greatness is by serving. This means that I must choose to lower myself at work, not only below my new manager, but that I would be willing to serve anybody if the need arises. And this is not Gene's advice on Sunday morning. These are the words of Jesus. To be great, you need to be the slave of all. Verse 44. I'm also at the point at work where there are new people coming in, and I've been there for coming up on three years, so new people are coming in. And God's really shown me how I could serve them, too. Not in every... and all respects, but little ways that I can serve them, even though they've been there a whole lot less than I have. So, if you want to be great, you don't have to stomp on people. You don't need to grasp for power. In Jesus' kingdom, what you need to do is be the biggest servant. What could it look like for you? Children, can I have your attention? What this text means for you is that when mom or dad asks for help cleaning up or with the trash, you should obey them like a happy servant. This is the way of Jesus to be a servant to other people. Maybe you're in a classroom. And you could serve your fellow classmates by helping them in a class that you're doing really well in. 
maybe uh, your children come up to you and they want to play and you're in the middle of something that you really want to get done. Maybe the way to serve there would be to set the work aside, serve them and play with them, and then go back to the work. If you're single and you have a lot of time, consider ways that you could serve in the church. Talk to some of the elders and see where we need help. Maybe you're a grandparent, and the way to serve is by watching the kids so that mom and dad can go on a date. What would it take for you to do what Jesus says and be a servant? So we've seen that Jesus doesn't serve our demands for power, but instead he tells us how to be great. And this way of being great advances the kingdom. Serving advances the kingdom. Let's move to the the last point here. Jesus does serve our pleas for mercy. And for that, we're going to read starting at 46. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So, in the last point, James and John came making demands and expecting results. They said, grant us greatness. And they didn't get what they wanted. Now we've got Bartimaeus coming humbly, expecting mercy. He says, give me mercy, son of David. And he gets what he wants. After immediately preaching on being a slave to all, in this section, we see Jesus do that. We see him demonstrate what he preaches. We see him serving the lowest of the low. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar sitting on the side of the road. The crowd passes by. Bartimaeus cries out, Son of David, have mercy. And the people try to shut him up. They rebuke him, but that only intensifies his cries. And then Jesus yields to his cries for mercy. What do you want me to do for you? Again, putting himself at another's service. This is the same question he asks of James and John. But he answers this request differently. Bartimaeus asks for the recovery of his sight. And Jesus says, you got it. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And then in verse 52, his sight is restored and he chooses to follow 
Jesus. I find it striking that Jesus says, go your way, and Bartimaeus chooses to follow him. He makes his way Jesus' way. It's also ironic that the blind man is the one who seems to see Jesus rightly. The one who hears cries for mercy and not demands for power. And like I said, in serving Bartimaeus, Jesus is living out what he preaches. The first will be slave of all. Jesus is the slave of all. He stoops down and serves this guy who everyone else has overlooked and walked by. So, why is this here? This is here to show us that Jesus serves, pleads for mercy. This is also here to show us an example of what true service looks like. How does this apply? Seek to serve the least. Don't be afraid to serve somebody who is below your pay grade. In fact, seek out those opportunities. In doing so, you will be doing what Jesus says when he says, be slave of all. Application number two, ask yourself, which kingdom am I in? Are you in the kingdom of men or are you in the kingdom of Jesus? Do you try to be great by demanding power and authority? Do you want everybody else to serve you? Do you come pridefully to Jesus, making demands? If so, you might not be in the kingdom of Jesus. You might be in the kingdom of men. On the other hand, do you seek to be a servant, a servant to everybody, a slave to the least? Do you come humbly to Jesus, pleading for mercy? If so, you're in the kingdom of God. So, in closing, I want to I want to consider why would you pick a kingdom where you serve and die to be great? When you could pursue the way the world pursues greatness by grabbing for power and authority, why would you do this? Good question. You can go the way of the worldly kingdom if you want, but one, there will be no resurrection for those in that kingdom, and two, there will be no mercy for your failures. However, in Jesus' kingdom, there will be resurrection. Verse 34, and after three days he will rise. And so will you if you follow Jesus, serving and dying. Jesus' kingdom also grants mercy. Son of David, have mercy on me. And he's healed. That's why you should choose this kingdom. We've seen the one who has true power, greatness, and authority, Jesus. We've seen him serve, submit himself, and promise to die. And in a couple chapters, he will submit to those who have worldly power, greatness, and authority the Gentile Romans. The one with true power will submit to those who have nothing more than worldly power. And in doing so, Jesus shows us how to pursue greatness in his kingdom and how his kingdom advances. But Jesus does so much more than just give us an example. 
He gives us a ransom by serving us and dying for us on that Gentile Roman cross. Because you and me on our own, we're just like James and John. We want power. We want authority the way the world does. But we have, by his grace, the chance to become like him, a servant king. So we've seen that Jesus does serve our pleas for mercy. And Jesus' service to Bartimaeus is a way he furthers his kingdom. We've seen that Jesus' kingdom advances by serving. So, which kingdom are you in? The kingdom that demands power, refuses to serve, and dies with no hope of resurrection? Or are you in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the one that serves to the death, and the one that will be raised from the dead like Jesus was? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for the privilege of looking at it this morning. God, we praise you and thank you for what you have done for us in Christ, for sending a servant to be an example, yes, but also to be the way, the truth, and the life, to be the ransom that we need for our sin. God, thank you for Jesus and his death on the cross. We pray that it empowers us to serve as we follow our King. Amen.